hello hello welcome 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 hello and welcome i am dan your friendly fishmonger at dansfish.com and we do this every wednesday at 7 p.m mountain time that's 9 eastern for those that are slightly mountain challenged and we're going to give a shipping report let you know how everything went since we last talked we have a very cool giveaway this week the blind cave tetra and i have some interesting information about them i i dug in a little bit and uh they're just such a fascinating fish so we're going to talk about that for a bit and then we'll get into questions or comments um if you have a question for me then once we start the questions and comments if you would make it the at symbol dance fish it'll highlight for me and we can get the party started all right um so first off the shipping report i am delighted to say that for the second week in a row we have had no problems in shipping that have been reported. So no DOAs, uh, nothing that arrived and looked bad or anything like that. So two weeks in a row, we're doing good. Um, navigating some changing weather. So last Wednesday, I actually did not ship out just because the, the, the weather was too funky. That only happens a couple times a year. That might be the... Let's see here. Once we didn't ship because a plane couldn't leave, once like due to to a storm. Once we couldn't ship because a plane was broken down, and I think besides that, maybe there's been two or three times this year, or this winter, I should say, um, where where the weather's just been too funky. So it doesn't happen much, but it did happen last week. But we're clear of that. We shipped everything out this week. We're all caught up, and um, we're back on schedule. So. Everything's going really well. Um, if you did have a problem with your shipping, if you would let us know, you can do that here in the chat. That's fine. We're transparent about these things. Um, or if you don't want to talk about it publicly, you could send me an email, hello at dancefish.com, and we'll get you taken care of. We rely on your reports because um, if you don't tell us if anything's wrong, then we're just, you know, sitting back, drinking iced tea, thinking everything's fine. So... <laughs> as far as we know, though, two perfect weeks, so that's pretty good. Um, yeah, happy about that. Because during the winter, as you know, there, there, let's see here, it had been a few weeks in a row that there had been some problems. And um, so it's nice to be kind of back in the clear. With that, let's start talking about our giveaway. This is a cool fish. So... Astyanex Mexicanus. Um, this is the giveaways for the Blind Cave Tetra. Let me show you some awesome pictures that Random Arms took. So here is one. As you can see where the eye should be, ain't no eye. There's scales over that, there's skin over that. There's no eye there, which is just fascinating. There's another shot of them. Most of you, I think, have probably seen this fish at one point or another. They're, they're fairly popular. And I just think that they're super neat. So I'm going to talk about them a bit. Um, as far as aquarium care goes, I would describe these along the lines as like Danios meaning they're not aggressive, but they're very active and very curious. They get around three and a half inches. I've never seen them that big, but that's what the literature says. 
Uh, the ones we have are an inch to biggest one, maybe an inch and a half, inch and a quarter, somewhere around there. Um, so I haven't seen them full grown ever. And whenever I've seen them in a pet store or anything, they've always been, you know, small. But reportedly they can get to about three and a half inches and they never stop. They just swim and swim and swim. They're very active. And they can be kept with lots of other fish, but nothing that would be bothered by a really fast swimming fish. And even though they're not aggressive, they will, the way they get to know their environment, since they can't see, a lot of it has to do with feeling, right? Like a toddler, like everything goes in the mouth. They feel everything with their mouth, just like a human toddler. And so, if your fish would be annoyed by that, then they would not make a, a good tank mate. Um, but as long as your fish is fast enough swimming and, and isn't, isn't, I shouldn't say that, it doesn't have to be a fast sw swimming fish, but one that would not be annoyed by a fast swimmer, and one that doesn't mind getting bumped into every now and then. Um, there are lots of other fish that do this though, even sighted fish that go around, they have little barbels and stuff and they feel other fish. Loaches do it all the time to other fish um, just to kind of get to know them. They're not being aggressive, they're just being inquisitive. <laughs> but that really bothers some fish. Like I wouldn't keep these with a bit of splendens. I wouldn't keep these with like a sedate kind of sit and slowly swim type of fish like a, a dwarf garami not the right tank mates. They would, I think, do well with Synodonis catfish. Um, I think they would do great with some top-dwelling fish, maybe a big group of hatchet fish or something, because they don't go up to the top very often. Um, they do fine with lots of your barbs and things like that, but it's a selective group of tank mates for them, to be sure. They eat everything. They are not difficult in the least to feed. Um, Preferably have it sink to the bottom, but they will find food mid-water as well. Just a moment. Mm. Excuse me, I had a sniffle. Um, really easy to feed, though. Not, not picky at all. A true omnivore. And some neat things about this fish. So, this is the sided form, the form that lives in rivers and creeks and lakes and ponds up on the surface really widely distributed from texas and new mexico down into guatemala this this thing is is very adaptive and then we have the blind version which lives in caves and has lost its sight but a w really wide range there's over 29 there's at least 29 different caves that these things live in. So you have 29 different populations, and some of them are more genetically uh, related than others. It's unknown whether in some of these systems there's some kind of underwater channel that links one cave to another, um, and so you have you know some genetic mixing that way. But some of them seem to be quite separated. So you have lots of different populations of this fish, at least 29 of them, that have adapted to live in caves. And so a question might be, why would you do that? Why would you decide, I'm, I'm living in a cave now, so I'm going to just go away with my eyes. I, like, I, I don't need my eyes anymore. And um, the reason is, is if you think of a fish like a computer, 
then this might help. So let's say you have your computer, right? And it has a certain amount of power it can allocate to different functions. Well, if you open a whole bunch of different programs, your computer might crash. With these fish, once they ended up being in a subterranean environment, they decided we're gonna become troglobites. We're gonna become cave dwelling specialists. Each thing that the fish does takes energy, just like each program your computer is running takes energy. So sight, it takes energy to operate your eyeballs, operate the nerves that connect to your brain, process all the images and all that. That's like having a big program from your computer running. It's taking up uh, electricity, it's taking up processing power, all that stuff, right? Well, if you do away with that, you close that program, then you can allocate that energy somewhere else. In this case, the fish has allocated it to um, a lot of uh, taste receptors on the, on the head, so increased taste receptors, so it can find its food more easily, because it can't see, right? So it relies on taste, and a very, very um, sensitive lateral line. This line right here, that runs along horizontally along the fish, is full of sensors. And the way this fish now understands its environment, since it can no longer see, is through these increased taste receptors, but also this lateral line here. You can see it right here, right along the fish. Basically, the lateral line has become so sensitive, so it allocated a lot of resources to that thing, that it can um, sense very small pressure differentials. So if you're swimming in the open water, the pressure is one thing. If you swim up close to a rock, right, then between you and the rock, you're going to get a zone of higher pressure. And this lateral line is so sensitive, it can detect that small increase in pressure, and the fish knows, hey, there's a rock there. The other thing it does is it creates a 3D map of its environment and it remembers it. It has a good memory, spatial memory. And so once it knows its environment, it, it has a 3D map, an image of it in its mind, basically, that it navigates with. And then it's constantly tasting the water to see if there's a food source nearby that it can go eat. And the lateral line is constantly sensing all these different pressure differentials. So as anything changes in the environment, that can get mapped onto the 3D map as well. It's a really interesting way to say, I don't need sight anymore. I'm going to allocate the energy I use for sight and figure out a way to survive in a cave where there's no light. These guys have done that. And they've done it pretty recently. They think that it's been somewhere between 10 and 20,000 years that this has developed in this fish. So not a long time. Um, something interesting about the eyes is that in the fry, the eyes are normal. And then as the fish grows and develops, the eyes go away, basically. They, they kind of disintegrate and they get covered by skin. So they're, they're just not there. <laughs> or they're very, very, you know, maybe vestule type organs, but they're, they're covered with skin. They're, they're not going to work. Um, so they've been wondering why this happens. 
what is it that causes a fish that is born with sight, with, with normal eyes, for that fry stage, to say, I'm going to do away with these eyeballs? How does that happen? And they found it. They found one of the genes. There's several genes involved. They know that. But they have been able to identify one of them. Let's call it CBSA because the actual name <laughs> is cystothonanine betasynthase. So we'll call it CBSA. And what it does, and by the way, humans have this gene as well. What this gene does is it, um, we'll go back to the eye because that's what we're talking about, this close up here. I love this shot. Random Arms took a great photo. That gene, the, the, the form of it that this fish has, the mutation this fish has, causes the blood flow to the eye to constrict. And so at a certain point in the fry's development, this gene kicks in, it constricts the blood flow to the eye, and the eye doesn't continue to develop. It kind of withers away, and you know, skin develops over that, that area instead. Now, the reason they know this is because they used CRISPR. They took a um, normal-sided surface member of this species, and they altered it with CRISPR. They altered that gene, and the eye was constricted and, and degenerated, right? Um, so then they took a blind cave tetra, and they introduced the normal gene, normal, um, the, the form of CBSA that the surface fish have. They, they introduced that to a blind fish and it started regenerating its eyes. So they haven't solved the complete puzzle. There's other genes involved, but they were able to figure out one of them. They think there's about 10 of them involved from what I read. And um, by the way, I mean, dive in deeper if, if you want. I read like one, no two, I read two scholarly papers on this. So I'm sure there's a lot more out there. But um, from what I read, they think there's about 10. And this is important because people have this gene too. And when people have a mutation in this gene, it also causes eye problems, but also heart problems. It can be fatal. There's, there's a lot of serious issues with it. So they're hoping by, by studying this gene in this fish that they can help solve some of the issues that, that people born with this gene mutation experience. Um, so kind of like the zebra danio, these guys are being studied very heavily scientifically um, about the eye degeneration. Like you start with a normal eye and then it goes away. How's that choice made? How's that work? They're, they're looking into that a lot. And the depigmentation, they're interested in that as well. And it's a, it's a neat fish to study because it's, it's the same species as the surface form. Remember, we've got this, uh, this one right here, which is just a normal tetra that lives from the United States all the way down to, to uh, Guatemala, right? Just a, what you would think of as a normal fish. Um, here's a neat picture, two of them together, the normal form and the blind form. Um, and so they can breed them together, right? They can see what the effect is when they breed a blind one with a normal one and, and do all kinds of things that, that they can't do with, with some other species. So anyway, I thought that that was was really fascinating. Now, one thing about the blind form is behaviorally it's a little bit different. 
Um, one is it's less aggressive. The sided forms are, are a little more territorial, a little more aggressive. Second is it, it tends to swim more alone. So even though the sided form is aggressive, has a distinct hierarchy, right? And maintains that. Um, this, the, the blind form of this fish is more solitary. It doesn't shoal up. And I think the reason for that would be if you're living in a cave, um, there's a lot less food available, right? Food is dispersed more widely. So it doesn't make sense to stay in a big group when the food is scattered off in small portions. It makes sense to separate and go out by yourself. And the other reason is, it seems like they don't have predators in these caves or have hardly any predators. So any kind of schooling and shulling behavior for protection doesn't really benefit you. And part of the reason that I think that is, I read one paper that compared the responses to predators between the blind cave tetra and its seen counterpart. And the blind, uh, form did not react to predators and you'll see this if you keep them in the aquarium you can startle them right they have a sensitive lateral line so if you bang the glass or, or something like that you'll startle them but if you put your hand in there they don't tend to like go and scatter away they tend to just kind of keep swimming around and maybe come up and nibble on it to just see if they can sense it and see what's going on and understand it like a toddler would by mouthing it right so they don't have the same predator reflex, or predator, uh, yeah, reflex, I guess. So it's a really interesting fish. And if you would like to win a group of them, then that's what the giveaway is. You can do so by typing hashtag cavefish in the chat. That's hashtag C-A-V-E, oh, I'm trying to <laughs> trying to make it bigger for everyone, and I'm just losing it here. Hatchak C A V E F I S H. No spaces. Capitalization does not matter, and that will enter you into win a group of these. Um, we'll send you at least six of them. And I guess that I guess I should say this: even though they are not like a tightly schooling or tightly shoaling fish, they do cue off each other still, and so I do think that they're probably happier in a group. Um, and some of the papers that I read stated something along those lines as well. I just noticed when I have a big group of them, they're, they just seem a little more bold, I guess would be the way to put it. So, yeah, so that's, um, Astyanax Mexicanus, Mexicanus, I guess, uh, for you. And, uh, it's been a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating fish for me, for sure. To learn about and things um all right with that you know what something i didn't do was usually the mods tell me if audio is good and video is good i jumped into this and i didn't see those comments so i'm assuming it is because we haven't we don't have a lot of people saying hey can't see you can't hear you so hang on let me just look here real quick okay i don't think i missed any like hey dan <laughs> your equipment's not working notes so Good. Usually I look for those uh, before I jump in because there's been times when I've done the live stream and like blissfully been going along and half an hour in and I look down and I'm like, oh, no one's seen, no one's heard me the whole time. Like, you know, that happens. So <laughs> we tried to avoid that. My mods tried to help out. Okay. So that's the shipping report. All good. 100% survival again this week. So that's two weeks in a row with no issues. And that's the giveaway. Um, 
quick update on the new fish warehouse build is we've got the final pieces together for the um, micro bubble removal system and uh, that should be all finalized with the company that's going to uh, install that uh, I think tomorrow we'll get that finalized we, we did some preliminary paperwork today but there were some things we had to change on the paperwork um, we met with the engineer on Friday of last week and kind of went through and, and came up with the final design We've gone through a couple versions of this and basically what we're doing is taking what we need and and overkilling it like making it even bigger just so that we don't do the bare minimum and then find out oh shoot we're still getting some bubbles or do the bare minimum and then when we build phase two find out hey that's not adequate right so we're we're doing kind of overkill but we want to solve the problem and not have to worry about it ever again so uh, that's coming along though as soon as that's done then we'll be able to get fish uh, in the uh, in the fish warehouse but so there's been progress on that unit a couple other things uh, we have ordered the uh, well I already went over this last week there's there was some scaling happening so we've got an anti-scaling uh, unit that'll help prevent that hard line calcium buildup um, and a couple other little odds and ends but the only thing keeping us from putting fish in there right now is the micro bubbles so that's almost done I hope oh it'd be so nice if they can get that in this week but I think that's pie in the sky um, I think next week is is probably what will actually happen all right with that I'm gonna scroll up and look for questions and comments I see one right here from Michael Mellier what are your plans for the basement and annex space after the move is complete so the basement will become part of the house again um, my kids are old enough that it's we need, we need kind of a, a space for for them to hang out in so that'll be down here and also we're gonna build a studio in it so a place uh, where we can record and so my wife does podcasts and records music um, Brenda's books is her podcast on any place that you find podcasts Brenda's books and so she right now is recording um, upstairs which is fine but anytime a big truck goes by or anything like that you know just got to start over so we want to build a, a nice studio down here for her for good sound for the podcast um, and for her music and I think I'm still torn whether I'm gonna do the live streams and things down here or do them in the warehouse we have to see what the final kind of what it's like in the warehouse with all that equipment running we'll have to do like a test and see hey if we live stream down here is it just like is it not good because it's too noisy but i don't think so i don't think it'll be much noisier than we are right now so i, I think it might work in the live to live stream from the warehouse but if not um i might do that down here too in, in kind of the studio space we're going to build down here it should be really nice to have a nice sound controlled area right I'm scrolling up to see if there are any questions or comments I have missed oh man that's so weird there it is I missed a couple super chats one from Alexander Engelhardt Alexander thank you so much sincerely my brother I really appreciate it typing something in so the blank field text doesn't cause confusion this week <laughs> I, I am easily confused <laughs> how about an ad everyone buy the steak endlers yeah <laughs> Hey, they look nice. 
let's see if we can show people this fish. Um, okay. So let's take a, a really quick field trip here to dancefish.com. Here they are. We have pairs of these guys. These are the steak endlers. Um, I believe this is the, the fifth generation of these. And so they're breeding nice and true. For those that don't know, this is a very rare line of endler. And uh, I think most other people are selling them for like 120 bucks. So uh, 100, 120 bucks. So $80 a pair, it's like, yeah, that's a lot of money. I get it. But for this particular fish, this is actually a bargain. They're hobbyists bred and raised um, in, the, in the United States, and they're doing great for us. And by the way, these might be the easiest endler to breed I've, I've ever had. I'm, I'm not trying to breed them, but I'm getting lots of babies. And you're like, yeah, they're endlers. Of course you are. Yeah, but, you know, usually the endlers will eat some of them. They don't seem to bother them at all, at least not in my tank. They're leaving them alone. We have tons of babies, and it's kind of cool. So um, fifth generation, they're breeding true. That's how you know if a line is good, by the way. If you can go several generations, and you're still getting the fish breeding true, you know the genetics are pure. You know it's a good strain. Um, you've probably had the experience where you bought a guppy, a pair of guppies or endlers or something like that, bred them, and the babies come out, and they're all different. It's like what? <laughs> like, so, you know, it's a it's a good solid fixed strain that breeds true. Kelly Foreman, thank you so much for the super chat. In a previous life, I was a professor and used to teach about eye developmental evolution and the Mexican cave tetra. Thanks for the memories. Hey, you're welcome. And if if I got anything wrong or if you have anything to add, um, I think they're pretty cool. Actually, you know that would make a cool article. I wonder if one of the newsletter articles, Kelly, if we could uh, get together and maybe write an article on the Blind Cave Tetra. That could be neat. I'm going to make a note here. See if I can remember to reach out to you about that. Just a moment, guys. Just writing on the notepad. All right, and after that moment of bad TV, let's keep going. Thanks again, Kelly. I appreciate that. Okay, scrolling now, looking for questions and comments that are directed at me. Oh, there's a whole bunch. Hang on. Chat jumped. I'm getting there, folks. Don't worry. We'll all be smooth sailing soon. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Okay. And Orange Cones. Hey, Orange Cones. I hope you're doing well. I think a future giveaway should be hashtag random arms or fish, and you never know what you'll get. Yes. <laughs> so that's funny to me because it's kind of like when I order fish from the suppliers. I have this saying um, that in this business, you order what you order and you get what you get, right? So, um, for example, I ordered 200 rainbow tetras recently. What I got was 400 emperor tetras. Still a beautiful fish and two, yes, closely related to the rainbow tetra, but not what we expected. Um, 
what else has happened recently? Oh, we ordered a whole bunch of splash tetras recently, and we got a completely different fish. Not even the same genus. Not even a splash tetra. A really cool tetra. It was the Col Coletti tetras that came, and I was glad because those are awesome. But it certainly wasn't the splash tetra. And the one I remember most <laughs> was ordering a group of electric blue rams. So micro um, geophagus ramirezi. And what I got was mangano. What I got was a mabuna, a mangano, um, which is like one of the most aggressive, pretty one of the most aggressive mabuna you can get. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so when, when Orange Cone says, you know, you're going to do this random giveaway, you never know what you'll get, it reminds me of whenever I try to order fish. Oh, it's, it's so interesting. Sometimes it's cool because you get amazing things that you'll never get otherwise, like the Coletti Tetra. That's just not something you'll see. But other times, you get Mangano. It's like, I, I only have 80% control of what I actually end up getting, I think. <laughs> Which is very odd when you think about, you know, a business and trying to control your ratios and stocking and all that. I, I only control about 80% of it. The rest, I'm at the mercy of the supplier. Um, degenerate fish keeper, depths unknown. Degenerate to unknown depths. Now, if you're going to be de degenerate, you might as well go all the way. <laughs> Recent research on the Mexican Tave Tetra was they communicate with clicks that are not the normal aggression one. Oh, cool. So you're, you're talking about like Mamirid like? Well, Mamirid is electrical pulses, but they communicate with clicks. Degenerate Fish Keeper, um, if you happen to have the link to that paper, I would love to read it if you wouldn't mind mailing it over, emailing it over. That would be awesome. Kelly Foreman, I can help you with an article. All right, Kelly, it's a date. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get rolling on that. Um, I think that would be for June because I, I think we have something in process for uh, May already. So, Kelly, yeah, let's, let's, let's figure that out. That sounds fun. All right, Misfit Reptiles and Aquatics got the email about the Red Hummingbird Tetras getting shipped out today. So excited. Thank you very much. Hey, you're very welcome. I hope they do well for you. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to prepare someone for a Red Hummingbird Tetra because they're so different than even like the Caracidium genus of Hummingbird Tetras that we all know. Um... Yeah, I, I hope you enjoy them. <laughs> let us know how. Let us know what you think. They're they're just so unique. The way they their behavior is very different. The way they move in the water column is very different. They're not quite like a caracidium that's always kind of resting on the bottom, kind of like a darter. Um, they seem to have a swim bladder because they they like to kind of hover above the surface and and go all different places in the column. They like to go swim up plants and things like that um but they have the same general shape i guess as a caracidium but um anyway i hope you enjoy them i i i think they're fascinating what we're talking about for those that don't know 
um, odontocaracidium. Um, okay, what we're talking about is is these. These are called the red hummingbird tetra. Um, they're just these small, little, really cool tetras. I mean, look at these things. I don't know what this is. This looks like a different species. Varii. Okay, yeah. The ones I have don't have these bands on them. They, they look a lot like this right here. So that that's probably the one. Um, they don't know the species for sure. They think it's a phanus or something like that. But compare that to just the caracidiums. Whoa. Jeez, caps lock. All right, these are the ones that we, we generally get, right, that we're, we're kind of familiar with. Let's see if I can get a bigger picture of it. Yeah, these guys. Darter tetras. Hummingbird tetras or darter tetras. Um, this is my favorite, the Rokovii, Caracidium Rokovii. But anyway, what's that? That's Agara, isn't it? No, that says it's Fasciatum. Huh. That looks more like Fasciatum to me. But anyway, um, they're just a really interesting fish. Uh, something very different. And a true nano fish, like under an inch, I think. Really, really small. Jess Aquatics. Hey, Dan, all the 471s are doing fantastic things. I'm glad to hear it, Jeff. The mini snowballs, the L471. Uh, glad you got them and glad to hear they're doing well. They're, they're starting to get beefy for us. Uh, we're starting to get some that are like little tanks. So... <laughs> Um, working on the ocelots still, there's a lot of people that have been asking about the L174 ocelots. Um, the mini snowballs and the ocelots are the smallest of the hypensistrous species. We're still working on the ocelots. I just, they came in so small, I just want to get them a little bigger, get a little more weight on them. Orange cones, boy oh boy, or girl oh girl, I sure could use some spotted head standards. Wink, wink, yes, I know, I know, I know, I haven't forgot. Uh, kids, aquatics, and exotics, can you or would you order brackish crabs? Um, I think we're probably going to stay away from brackish water species. And the reason is, is in a flow-through system like we're going to have, we're not going to be able to keep the salt in the tanks. It's going to be fresh water running through the tanks. So I think for now we're going to have to avoid brackish water species. Um, maybe one day we could set up a rack that's different just for brackish. But we would pretty much have to be maxed out on all the other things, for, on, on like all the freshwater species first. And I still think we're kind of tip of the iceberg with that. So, um, some other things too, like uh, warm water fish, discus and rams and things like that, we're probably not going to be getting into just because the way the system's set up at the fish warehouse is uh, the temperature is set to, I think, about 78 degrees right now, the water. And the water just flows through the tanks at 78 degrees. And every 45 to 48 minutes is 100% water change. So each, each tank is getting roughly a gallon of fresh water every minute. And so there's no way to run a system like that and keep the salt concentration up. Because as soon as you put the salt in, the fresh water running through will, will throw it back out. 
And um, so it would take manual, um, we'd have to take that tank off system and do it all manually and things. And I think we want to avoid that at least while we're starting up. Now, I like brackish water fish a lot. I love ruby scats. I think they're amazing. Um, there's one of my favorite fish is the paradise fish. Not the one you're thinking of. Um, let me see if I can find it. Not the paradise fish from Korea and that, but the, uh, oh, what's it called? Filament paradise fish? Am I going to be able to find, oh, here it is, yes. Just a second, let me, let me show you this sucker. Polynemus multifilis, called the paradise fish. These things with these big long streamers on the fins and things like that. This is one of my favorites. Um, I have seen them alive. Um, there is a wholesaler in Los Angeles called Southland Aquatics that had a massive aquarium and had a bunch of these in it one time. Um, I don't know how well they did for them. I don't know how long they had them for. Um, but it's such a neat, neat fish. Just look at all that. Well, that, that picture's not great. Um, all that spaghetti coming off of them. It's, well, you get the idea, right? Um, so that's one I'd like to keep, and I, I don't think I'd keep that unless I had brackish water. Um, so there's lots of brackish water species I, I enjoy. Monos I like. A lot of the archers. A lot of the gobies. There's some really neat brackish gobies. Um, but mud skippers, all that stuff. But it won't work for the current system. And until we deviate from the current system, uh, we need to be well established. Um, we need to kind of be maxing that system out and looking for new ways to kind of expand beyond it. So, Jason California in the house. Well, welcome Jason California, who probably lives in like, I don't know, Minnesota. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Jason, California, from Minnesota. Get Gilson. I missed one from Snoochie Booch. Any word on the grand opener yet? Sorry if I missed the announcement. Hey, Snoochie Booch. Nope, we're still uh, waiting for the micro bubble removing unit to get installed before we get fish in here in the in the new fish warehouse. And so we're going to do, we'll do like a, a ribbon cutting thing and all that, but it's going to be a while. So... We've got to get um, the microbubbler installed, and then we need to get fish in all those tanks, but we're also going to keep these tanks running for a while um, as an insurance policy, maybe for about a month or so after we have fish in the other place, just because it seems like it would be really bad to uh, move everything to the new place and in three weeks find out, oh, there's this problem, and not have like a backup plan. I don't think that'll happen, um, but it seems like uh, having both places going for a little while makes sense just from kind of like an insurance standpoint for the business. But then once that's done, once we're like, okay, yeah, this really has been going for a while, um, and uh, 
we feel like we don't need the insurance policy anymore. Then we still have all the work of tearing all this down and moving it over and getting this set up in the warehouse, the basement and the annex. Once that's all, because I don't want to have the big party until everything's in there, right? Once that's done, then we'll probably do some kind of ribbon cutting event or, or something like that. So we're still a little ways out though, and I'll let everyone know about that. Um, but uh, that that's the plan. We hate to just get all these tanks moved over there and find out, oh shoot, there's this thing we didn't know about that is now happening and it's, you know, and now we have nowhere else to move the fish. So we kind of want to just have a little, little insurance policy. It's probably overly cautious, but, uh, but it makes us feel better. <laughs> Dave O, by the way, I did write my congressman about the Lacey Act. Thank you. Thank you so much. For anyone not familiar with where we're at on the Lacey Act, um, talked about it last week, but a quick recap and call to action. Um, let me just go here. U.S. ARC. Wait, where am I typing? <laughs> not up here. U.S. ARC has a great section on that. Um, so basically what has happened is the... Um, the House and the Senate have come up with different versions of the bill. Now they're joining a committee to find out the the final version of the bill, what it will be. And if you go to US ARC, you can see this list. I will I will link it down below. This is the important part of this. These are the folks that will be on that committee deciding the final version of this bill which will somehow be a reconciliation between the House and the Senate. It's, I was going to be a whole new bill by the time it comes out. But if your representative is on this list of senators or on the House of Representatives list here, anyone that represents you, if you're a constituent of one of these, and, you know, check that link out when you have more time, I suppose, then please contact them call them, go to their office, write them, do all three, <laughs> and uh, ask them to, to not have the Lacey Act amendments move into that final version of the bill. The good news is the version that came out of the Senate does not have any language about the Lacey Act in it. So all the Lacey Act stuff that was in the House version is stricken from the Congress version. Let's see if we can keep it that way from this uh, final, new and final version that will come out. Yeah. Kelly Foreman, is there any convenient way to fly out there? I'd love to pop in for the grand opening, but I'm sure as heck not driving from Indiana. Yeah, we have an airport here in Sheridan, so it's uh, it's actually not difficult to get here. Um, if you can get to Denver, you can get to Sheridan because we have flights from Denver three times a day, I think. Um, and you can fly to Billings, Montana as well. That means you'll have an hour and a half to two hour drive to Sheridan from Billings. But for example, if you're in, in Seattle, there's flights from Seattle to Billings all the time, flights from Salt Lake, flights from um, what, Minneapolis? I believe and some other places as well so 
Sometimes it's easier just to fly to Billings, especially if you live somewhere that has a direct flight there. Um, and sometimes it's easier to fly directly to Sheridan um, through Denver. So yeah, it's, it's not hard to get to Sheridan. You just have to get to Denver. And Denver is like one of the biggest, busiest airports there is, so almost everyone can get to Denver. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give people plenty of notice, by the way. Yeah, we're excited about it. But we also don't want to rush it. Basically, it's like this. Once we know everything's good and we moved everything over and it's like up and running and all the tanks from down here are moved over and everything's up and running, then we'll pick a date. We'll probably pick it for like, you know, six weeks or something like that in advance so people can arrange travel if they want to come out. But that'd be amazing to have a little fish fam reunion out here at the new fish warehouse. That'd be great. All right, scrolling down. Uh, thanks again to Davo for contacting your, your congressman about the Lacey Act. T-Shot, hey Dan, congrats on all the success. I picked up two rope fish the other day. Any extra advice for care other than a tight lid? The tight lid's the big one. Um, the other one is lots of tight spaces. So this is a fish that in nature lives in these areas of, of really swampy areas with dense like vegetation. So it's used to being, think of like an eel or something. It's used to being, have stuff around it, right? So I would say lots of cover and tight fitting varieties of cover would be appreciated. For me, that was a big dense mat of Java moss. They could kind of swim under and hang out under along with a bunch of PVC pipes. And instead of, sometimes they'd hang out inside the pipes, but often they'd hang out between the pipes in that little kind of triangular, you know, wedge-shaped space that two round cylinders, <laughs> the two cylinders make when they are laying next to each other. Um, so that would be one thing, just for security. Lots of tight-fitting spaces that they can wiggle into and feel comfortable. Um, besides that, I mean, it's an easy fish to keep. I, I don't think they're difficult. They're very hardy. They eat everything. Well, this is important. Ropefish are slow to the food. So they'll sense the food. They'll kind of come out they'll, they'll, like a big pellet or something. They'll, they'll find it, and then they'll grab it and eat it, right? But they're not going to compete well with this horde of other fish that are around eating all the food quickly. So something that sinks to the bottom and kind of can stay there, something in good size too. I wouldn't feed them like tiny pellets or anything. I'd give them like good size carnivore pellets. Um, P.E. Mysis shrimp are a great size for rope fish. Uh, meaty foods like that. Occasionally we'd take an algae wafer and kind of split it up into quarters or halves and put that in there. So they got a little bit of vegetable matter. But in general, high protein, good size food that would sink to the bottom and sit, stay stable until they found it is what I would say with them. Really fascinating fish though, and once they learn about food time, they'll come out every time that you feed them. Yeah, they're, they, they become very enthusiastic about food once they learn about it. But, but again, they're kind of slow to find it. They have to kind of sniff it out, right? They're not blind, but they don't have great sight. Orange cones. Hey, can I bring my bring my fly rod? Yeah, we have amazing fly fishing up here in the Bighorn Mountains. Honestly, so 
there are some river systems up there, kind of the headwaters to my water, and there are these little mountain streams that might be 20 feet across, some places maybe only 10 feet across. They come up to your knees or maybe to your waist, rarely higher than that, and you just park down and fly fish your way up for a couple miles, and that's a good day. Just avoid the moose. <laughs> yeah, we have great fly fishing here. I, I love fly fishing. Wish I had more time for it. It's something I really enjoy doing with my kids. Something about being out there on the water and you get the relaxation, the flow of the water. You're just out there away from everything, just casting your fly, having a good time. It's really nice. Joseph Morshimer. Hey, I thought I had some of my giant autos settled and eating okay. Found one dead with a bloated abdomen today. Any secrets to keeping this species? Um, Joseph, how long have you had them? Would be my first question. Second one, the bloated abdomen might not be um, what caused a symptom of, of what was wrong with the fish. As soon as a fish dies, it starts getting bloated, right? The, the gases that are produced can bloat the abdomen a lot. So it could be that that was something going on there, but I wouldn't read too much into that because almost immediately when a fish dies, you know, gases start being produced internally in the fish that cause bloat over a short period of time. Um, for me, for the giant autosynclus, what I've found is kind of the same as with other autosynclus kind of constant access to food. Um, they need a lot of time with their food, a lot of dwell time with the food, and they'll gradually just scrape and scrape and scrape at it. Um, ours really like algae wafers. They'll eat uh, carnivore pellets too, but we tend to feed mostly kind of vegetable-based uh, wafers. Um, and they'll also eat coin zucchini. We feed them a lot of that. They'll eat French cut green beans, if you have canned green beans that are French cut. All kinds of stuff. Just like any other kind of autosynclus, really. So, the other thing about autos is I think they really appreciate some flow. Now, they don't need massive flow. We just have sponge filters and um, box filters in our aquariums. But in the tanks with the autos, something I'll do is, first off, I, I turn the bubbles up so there's good flow right by the, the filters. And then I'll lean like a pipe over by them, or maybe a piece of wood over by them, something like that. Uh, Broadleafed, like Java uh, ferns kind of in the area. So they have a spot to hang out by the flow, because they tend to like that. Something else that helps, whether it's by the flow or not, is a big clump of Java fern. They really enjoy grazing on the leaves of broadleafed plants. And in fact, I would say surface area in general is very helpful just because the more biofilm and algae and things you have growing the more surface area you have for that stuff to grow on the more there is for the autos to kind of graze on between feedings and to balance their diet out um, between what you're feeding them and what's growing naturally in the aquarium so those are all things we did something else we would do although this is mostly for like when they're first imported it becomes less important over time once they learn how to eat uh, pellets and wafers and things like that. This becomes less important. But early on, we take dinner plates um, and we scatter them around in tanks with bright lights and grow algae on them. 
and we rotate them in. We'll take a dinner plate, put it in the tank. Um, after two days, let's say, we'll take it out, put it back in a tank to grow more algae, put a new dinner plate in that's covered with algae, kind of rotate through. Now, again, that's more for newly imported autos that aren't yet used to uh, aquarium foods. Um, but that's something you can supplement their diet with. If you take plates, or you could use rocks or, or whatever, any, any surface you can grow algae on. We also do it with, uh, with PVC pipes and things like that. Um, get algae growing on them and move them to that tank and they'll, they'll love it. It's just like a treat for them and a supplement to their diet. So those are my main thoughts. Uh, temperature, I'd say anywhere in the mid to upper 70s, they're probably happy. 75 to 78, 80 degrees even. Um, what I found with them is once they're established, and as long as they're not fresh imports, and they've learned what aquarium foods are, pellets and wafers and zucchini and all that stuff, um, in my experience, they've been very, very hardy. But that's my thoughts on them, uh, Joe. Um, and yeah, I don't know how many you have or how long you've had them, but hopefully the rest do okay. And I'm sorry for the loss. And if it came from us, um, then I'm extra sorry for the loss, especially if it was a recent fish you got recently from us. Uh, please do let me know. Bunny Viper, hi, what type of veggies do you offer your Sevrums and how often? Thanks so much. Cheers on the happy new venture. Okay, Sevrums. They're not picky at all. We tend to feed ours mostly coin zucchini just because it's convenient. But we also feed them a lot of algae wafers um, and the extreme, what is it, herbivore wafer? I can't remember what the extreme brand is. We also fed the Hikari algae wafer. Um, so we'd feed mostly vegetable-based foods. We'd also feed uh, spirulina flakes. The Zoomed brand is the one I like just because it has a high amount of spirulina in the food. And uh, so that's kind of the base diet we use for Severums is veggie flakes, veggie pellets, things like that. Now it can have other things in them. It can have fish uh, in the pellets or shrimp or proteins of different kinds. That's fine, but you want that good veggie in their diet. But besides that, coin zucchini is really easy and they'll, they'll eat it. They especially like, this is interesting, most fish go for like the soft squishy insides. <laughs> the Severums are always interesting because they pick the the edge first, like the edge where the, the hard skin meets the soft squishy inside of the coin. They'll like nip off this neat little circle around there first, and then they'll kind of pick at the skin as much as they will the, the rest of it. So they don't, they don't mind the tough skin at all. They seem to kind of like picking through that. Um, we've done green beans as well. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. That's, that's the main things. If I, did I try carrots? I can't remember if I ever uh, gave them some boiled carrots or anything like that. But they don't tend to be picky. They tend to eat most things. So I hope that helps. So yeah, with Severums, I would say, uh, you know, high, a, a good base of spirulina flakes and algae pellets and things like that. Um, is great. Then you can supplement beyond that. Okay, just a moment. I am searching 
because chat jumped on me, so just a moment. Oh, someone's talking about pee puffers. Hippie John the Fishmon. <laughs> hey, Fishmon. Just got it. First pee puffers last week. Loved them. Oh, yeah. They're so fun. We have a big group right now um, that we're really enjoying. So it's so fun to watch them feed. We were all standing around watching them eat scuds today. Uh, Mandy, Random Arms, and I. Just because it's so fun. A whole gang of them will circle a scud and just, like, go in. And it's obviously the puffers are having a great time. The scud's not having a great time, but we're here for the puffers. Um, they're also eating uh, frozen bloodworms and freshly hatched baby brine shrimp, and just bulking up really nicely. So, um, yeah, pea puffers are super, super, super fun. And they don't—they don't skimp on attitude. Like a little tiny pea puffer, it's like that chihuahua. That thinks it's a pit bull, you know that little lap dog that thinks it's you know, a Rottweiler. Same thing. The the pea puffers, they don't know they're little. <laughs> they have all the attitude. They'll come up to the glass and like size you up, you know. <laughs> Super fun little fish for sure. So we we've got a group of those we're bringing up, and then we have a, the the Amazon puffers we're working really hard on. I'm really pleased with their progress. They're eating a ton. They're almost through their Metro and Prozy meds. Uh, we'll wait a few days when they're done. We'll switch to Flubendazole. Then when they're done their flu Flubendazole rounds, then we'll wait a while and then switch to Levamisole uh, just to kind of make sure they're fully cleaned out. But they've started eating really well, which is great because when you first get them, they're so parasite-ridden that there's not a lot of eating going on there's a lot of i want to eat but i can't like they'll pick at the food but I have to spit it out like they'll try to eat but they their esophagus is so inflamed from all the parasites they can't so we're beyond that stage now which is awesome and man after feeding they have some big fat bellies now it's really really cool to see them coming along so fingers crossed that continues to do well in puffers man puffers are a uh, they're a labor of love it generally takes over a month anytime we get puffers to get them fattened up, you know, all cleaned up and, and, and ready. You know, it's four weeks minimum, maybe six weeks average, something like that. It, it takes a while. Um, the Congo spotted puffers were lucky because those are aquarium bred and raised, and so those have less issues. But any of the others, um, yeah, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> But totally worth it. They're they're super cute, and just watching them like heal up and thrive is it, it's awesome. Okay, scrolling down here. You know, I didn't do this earlier. I want to thank my moderators for being here and doing what they do. I forgot earlier, but uh, I never want to forget. Every live stream, I want to give my my did I say monitors? My moderators, my mods. <laughs> I want to thank my moderators. <laughs> I want to thank my monitors for their hard work. You know, monitor A, monitor B. No, my moderators. Um, just you know, being here every week and, and taking care of the chat so things go smoothly. Just want to thank you guys so much. 
Wendy, I recently purchased true algae eaters from Dance Fish. They're big fat guys, so healthy. They're definitely algae eaters. Wow, cleaning my sunroom tank up beautifully. So much algae in the sunroom setting. Yeah, they're gonna love that, Wendy. That sounds like a good time for them. Nice sunny tank, constant algae. Good job, yeah. Well, I'm glad you like them. I'm glad that they're doing well for you. The Aquatic Express. Hey, Dan, when it comes to American flag fish, should my male be smaller than my female? If at the adult size, I bought a pair from my LFS last a, a week ago, and I believe I see breeding behavior. So um, I think ideally they would both be about equal size, so one doesn't dominate the other so much. But that doesn't mean that if your male's smaller, it's going to be a problem. Um, if they want to breed, they'll nature finds a way, as Jeff Goldblum says, they'll they'll find a way to get it done. But um, Yeah, I don't think there's any harm with having the male be smaller than the female. Now, flagfish are one, especially if you only have like a pair. They're, I hesitate to say they're aggressive fish because then we get visions of piranhas and vampire tetras and wolf cichlids, right? Um, so I, I don't want to say that, but but they are feisty with each other. If you have a big group, the feistiness is mitigated, just like with cichlids, right? You get the large group and it mitigates the aggression. If you only have a pair, just be sure you have lots of cover, a dense clump of java moss or a big spawning mop that uh, they can easily disappear behind or something. So that if one is more aggressive than the other and you start getting issues, they can get away. Now you might be surprised, the smaller one might be the more aggressive. You never know with flagfish. But good on you. Uh, breeding behavior, those guys are awesome. And the eggs are big and so hardy, you shouldn't have any trouble getting, getting the babies out of them. And I would say if you think you see breeding behavior, if you have a spawning mop in there, check it. You, you might find some eggs. Or if you have like some plants, you can kind of feel them a little bit, see if you feel any hard nubs. Um, by the way, speaking of breeding, um, our Corydoras, uh, I believe it is the Crucienses that are breeding right now. I, I went out there and found a bunch of eggs in that tank today. Um, there's also Cipalloweenie in there and um, some Carla A, but I think it was the Crucienses because they were the ones that were acting a little feisty earlier. And the Aspidorus won't stop. The Aspidorus are spawning all the time. If you want a super easy fish to breed, the Aspidorus... Um, what they do is, if you have a sponge filter and you have that clear tube, and you have the airline in there and the, you know, got the bubbles coming out, they swim down in there and they lay their eggs in that tube, which makes it super easy. You just take that tube off and you go artificially incubate the eggs and you can raise a bunch of babies that way. You don't have to go scrape them off the glass or anything. So the Aspidorus are breeding like crazy. If I was more settled, I would pull a bunch of eggs and raise them, but Right now we're, uh, you know, we're in transition, so I'm not doing that at the moment. But I can't wait. I can't wait till I can, because they're breeding all the time. Joseph says he's not afraid of not, not caring for the giant autos well. Um, well, Joseph, if there's anything you want to know beyond, um, if what I said earlier, if there's anything follow up you need, let me know. But with autos, it's mostly constant food um, and not being out-competed by other fish. Being able to get to the food and spend a lot of time with it, 
be, you know, without getting shoved off by other fish or, um, yeah, or, or hindered from getting to the food by other fish. Ginger Graves, is there a specific period of time you wait between different deworming parasite meds? I need to run the med series through my pea puffers. Um, it, it, yes and no. So I like to wait. So a lot of it is about looking at the fish and seeing what the fish is telling you, okay? But if the fish is telling you everything is good, then I like to wait like say three days or so between. Uh, flush all the meds out, give them a few days without any meds in the tank, and uh, before the next dosage. And the reason is just, you know, meds are metabolized by the liver and the kidneys, and I just want to give those organs a break. Something you can do that could be helpful is if you know one medicine is, is metabolized in the kidneys, and another one you're going to use is metabolized in the liver, then follow the kidney metabolized medicine with the liver metabolized medicine, right? So you're not stressing the same organ all the time. But, you know, that can be helpful. Um, I don't have all that memorized. I'd have to look into those and remember which is which. But I like to give them like three days without any meds in the water just to kind of chill them out, give their organs a little break. But there are times when the fish will tell you they need more time. So, for example, treating the Amazon puffers, we did a few days in a row of um, Metro and Prozzi. And after that, they started looking a little sluggish and not being as excited about food. So we're like, uh-oh, something's going on. So we, we held off for a couple days on the meds. Uh, the fish perked up, and we started medicating again. But now when we're medicating, we're doing it every other day, the, the treatments, uh, giving them a little time between treatments. So sometimes you can feed, you can medicate the fish day after day after day after day for like a straight seven days or 10 days or whatever the medicine calls for, and it's fine. Sometimes you do it and it's obviously stressing the fish out. And then me, I, I just back off a bit um, and slow down the um, frequency of the medicating and often you'll see an improvement in the fish. And that was the case with the Amazon puffers. So I don't know if they were just getting such a big parasite die off in their system that they were feeling that, or if, if that was making them feel sluggish, or if the medicines were actually, um, enough was building up in the water column that they were starting to you know, feel a little sick from too much medicine in there. Um, I'm not sure, it was just Metro and Prozzi, and we do like, you know, 40%, 30, 33 to 40% water changes every night here. So we're getting good water changes between treatments. But um, you, you gotta read the fish sometimes. So there is no, you know, there's rules of thumb, not rules of fundamental. <laughs> there's no fundamentalism in it, right? It's, you gotta observe the fish and see what they're telling you. Swamp Thing, with all the hubbub going on with your life and your business right now, kudos to you for keeping your Wednesday live stream. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Wait, uh, there, that's it. There's the dap. <laughs> thanks, Swamp Thing. Um, 
Yeah, we made a commitment to uh, to do this years ago, and we haven't missed one if we could help it. Like, it's been a couple times I've been ill. It's been a couple times when um, something has happened on a Wednesday that I needed to go to for work or whatever. But um, or I've been out of town sometimes picking up fish from the airport or whatever. But we're yeah, we. I, I don't want to break that commitment, right? I don't want to. Like after years of doing this at this time every week, I, I don't want to give that up. I feel like we lose. It's hard to follow a stream if it's like, is it going today? Like, did you hear if they're going today? I don't know if they're going today, right? Or if you show up and they're not there. That happens a few times and it's like, I don't know what's going on with this guy, right? And it's not going to come anymore. So um, for us, it's important to keep going. Plus, I like it. I really like live streaming because to me it's like the closest thing I have to a local fish club is nerding out with you guys on the internet because in my small town here we don't really have you know a local fish club so towns teeny teeny tiny David W just wanted to say my beta cochina from dance fish have spawned yes that's awesome and I have fry swimming all around, currently readily accepting golden pearls and decapsulated brine shrimp eggs. That is awesome, David W. Okay, guys, it's about to get loud in here, real loud. Turn down your volume. You've been warned. Take out your earbuds. Because that news deserves a galazzo. You ready, David? Here you go. Go! Good job, that's awesome. Beta Cochina are one of my favorite fish of all time. So hearing, and, and also, it's not, I'm pretty sure they're pretty endangered in the wild as well. So hearing that I was able to send some to someone who was able to breed them is amazing. Totally worth a galaza. good job. Cheers, David. <laughs> Paul Soltero just turned off the sound. Nothing personal. Hey, y'all were warned. <laughs> I couldn't not do it. It's better Cochina. It's better Cochina. Um, there's, I think, I think everyone we've sold the better Cochina to over the years has had success. Um, there's been once or twice where someone didn't succeed the first time but we were able to figure out the problem resend them a new batch uh, often on us just so they could be successful and uh, I, I think that was always I think in the end it always worked out um, so they have for those that don't know this is the fish we're talking about Betta Cochina. So we think of bettas, we think of betta splendens, right? This is the betta that we all know and love, or love to hate, depending on where you're at in the spectrum, right? What they used to call the Siamese fighting fish. Now we just call it the betta. 
Well, what you might not know is there's, I think, 250 or something like that species of bettas. This is only one of them. There's many, many others. Most of them are quite peaceful. Unlike the, the you know, what we used to call the Siamese fighting fish, or the, the betta that you find in Petco. Um, most of these bettas are quite peaceful. Not all of them, but most. And this is what one of the species looks like, and it really does look this good. This is betta cochina. There's a whole complex of bettas in the cochina complex. There's brownorum, and there's, there's some others. And most of them are like this burgundy wine red color, and they often have this iridescent blue or green section midway down the body. Just a beautiful fish. Little nano fish, doesn't get very big. And the issue with them is they come from very acidic black water environments. So often when they're brought in, they're brought from those environments, they're put into local water, which is usually hard and alkaline. They're not used to that. They're not used to the pathogens associated with that. They're not used to the ammonia and nitrite associated with those environments. And so sometimes they don't do well. But if you just give them a little TLC when they first arrive and transition them, uh, they become very, very hardy in short order. And they're a great community fish. You can keep them in a community tank with peaceful nano fish. They do well with small, peaceful, kind of more sedate rasboras, like the axelrodi rasboras, the blue neon rasboras, things like that. Kubatai rasboras, they do great with stuff like that. And they're just a joy. And so um, one of the cool things doing what I do is I get to hook people up with cool fish like that. And every now and then they breed, which is awesome. <laughs> Paul Soltero, the dog, was sleeping. Well, hopefully you turned it off in time. <laughs> uh, Ginger Graves, I still have my betta cochinas from the first time you ever brought them in. Three years ago, I think. Yeah, that's awesome, Ginger. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad they're doing well for you. That's great. Okay, with that, um, let's... Bunny Viper, that's inhuman. <laughs> Bunny Viper must be a little bit delayed. <laughs> Just heard the galazzo. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get more Beto Cochina in. They're, they're one of my favorites. I'm kind of careful who I bring them in from, though. I, I have a really good supplier. So I, I tend to stick with that one because they do a pretty good job. All right, with that, let's go ahead and do the giveaway. It's 8.15. Why not? This is for a group of blind cave tetras. And the winner is Freaky Fish Lady. All right, Freaky Fish Lady, you have won. You have two minutes to chime in, say something in chat like, yay, I won, or whatever. And uh, cl that claims your winnings. You have two minutes to do that because you do have to be present to win. And um, I should play your theme song. Super freaky, super freaky, super freaky. <laughs> See if I get a, uh, a copyright strike. See if I was accurate enough. <laughs> All right, freaky fish lady. Congrats. Let us know if you're here. 
All right, while we're waiting on that, I actually think I might have reached the bottom of the chat. That hardly ever happens, but did I? And I'm scrolling. Scrolling. I think I did. That's not uncommon, I, I think, this time of year. It's like, uh, you know, weather's nice. People start going out and planting their gardens and, you know, hanging out at the park and all that stuff. So there's less people hanging out in fish live streams. I get it. So... But because of that, I think I reached the bottom of the chat. So if you have a question or comment for me, now would be a good time to leave it. Uh, we'll go for a little longer. And if, if nothing else kind of comes in, we'll go ahead and shut the stream down a little early. Don't mind doing that. I, I kind of hate trying to stretch a stream longer than its natural lifespan. And its natural lifespan is kind of uh, dictated uh, by the action in the chat. So... Freaky Fish Lady, it has been a minute 38. You have 20 seconds now to chime in and let us know you're here, or we will need to draw somebody else. <laughs> Mitchell Broom, pretty sure that rendition of Super Freak is safe from copyright, since likely none caught it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, it's been... Two minutes so we're gonna draw someone else because uh, freaky fish lady did not claim her winnings so the winner is now zims aquatics and hobbies zims aquatics and hobbies you have two minutes to chime in and uh, let us know you're here and claim your winnings all right Johnny at dance fish asking if I've kept this uh, macropotus ocelotus it's a cool paradise fish type fish um, let me show you guys this. These guys. Aren't they awesome? I have not kept this specific one. Um, I've kept Dei. And I've kept uh, Specdi along with the common Paradise Fish. This is one I'd like to bring in. Every time I've tried, I've not got it. But I'll keep trying. I mean, look at this thing. Woo! There you go. There's some eye candy. Yeah, these are... It's an amazing fish. I don't think I've ever seen this one in the flesh, uh, Johnny. I keep trying, but I haven't seen it. All right. It's been a whole minute, Zim's Aquatics and Hobbies. Oh, you're here. All right. Zim's Aquatics, Hobby. Zim's Aquatics and Hobbies is one. The Blind Cave Tetras. Congratulations. Please send us an email. Hello at dancefish.com. Let us know, hey, I'm Zim's Aquatics and Hobbies, and uh, here's my mailing address, and we'll get those off to you. I mean, we'll communicate with you first and make sure you'll be there when we send them, but we'll get those off to you. All right. Swamp Thing. Wait, Swamp Thing, I, I responded to your to your chat I thought but anyway thank you yes we mean to be here every Wednesday from here until you know I don't know until I die maybe I, I have no plans to stop this I really enjoy hanging out with you guys and thanks to Swamp Thing by the way for being an amazing supporter and uh, frequent contributor to the chat and for everything you do behind the scenes Swamp Thing we appreciate you all right, with that, we're going to get go ahead and shut this down just a couple minutes early because it feels like the stream has run its chorus. Um, 
Thanks to everyone who participated. Thanks first off to my moderators for being here and keeping things running smoothly. Really appreciate each and every one of you, and I mean that. Uh, thanks to everyone that threw money at us. Always appreciated, never required, but it makes my wife super happy when money falls out of the computer in the form of a super chat. Greatly appreciated. Everyone that left questions and comments, thanks for participating, helping make it lively. If you're lurking, hail the Lurker Nation. If you're listening on the replay, thanks for listening. And if you're listening on the podcast, thanks for listening to the podcast and thanks to Michael Mellier for making that possible. With that, we're going to go ahead and sign out here. We'll be back next Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I hope you all have a good one. Bye-bye.